0: is part six of our seven-week series on the letters to the churches in Revelation. And next week, we're going to be really blessed because we actually have uh, Dr. John Newton coming to share around the last church. And some of you would remember John Newton from last year when we did a series called Making Sense of Our Times. John Newton is a Bible scholar and uh His area of expertise is the book of Revelation. So we're really blessed. We're going to be hearing from the best, and uh, he's going to be bringing a great word next week. So this week, as we look at the sixth church, Philadelphia, I wanted to start by raising a question today, because perhaps... Today, as you're sitting in this room, and by the way, if you haven't caught every part of the series or you're joining us online today and you haven't watched and joined in with the past five messages, you know, each of the different letters is relevant for our lives. And so even if you haven't gotten the last five weeks, don't worry, you can join in today because what we're going to share around today is relevant and you don't necessarily need to have read all Uh, five other churches before we speak about what we're going to speak about today. But, you know, there's a question perhaps that maybe you're asking or have been asking as we've come around this series and uh, that I've found myself asking over the years, which is why does Revelation matter today? Because maybe you've heard some of the theories out there. Maybe you've seen or read some of the books. You've caught the DVDs. There was a time where there were a lot of movies about the end times out. Who went and watched those movies or saw them on DVD? It's okay, it's a safe place. Put your hand up. I read the books. There was a great book series about the end times that was like 13, 14. I committed to all of those books. I read them. But why does Revelation matter today? Maybe uh, you're wondering, well, you know, I'm not really that fussed about how it all ends. Uh, So why does Revelation matter today? Well, the book of Revelation is... A very interesting book because it kind of stands alone in the type of book that it is compared to the other books of the Bible. It's both prophetic and what we call apocalyptic. It's prophetic in that it speaks to the particular situation that the churches found themselves in at that time. The first century Christians living in the Roman Empire in Asia Minor and what they were experiencing at that time. And some of the things that they experienced would sound a little bit familiar to you. There was a lot of civil unrest. There were governments that were changing over quickly. There was economic hardship. We've just... Reminded ourselves about that a little bit this morning. There was economic hardship. There were earthquakes in the area of a couple of the churches that we've looked at recently. And so they endured a time of great unrest, great unpredictability. And I imagine that they wondered what the future Held. I imagine they wondered what their life would look like five years from now. I imagine that they experienced turmoil as their world, in a lot of ways, was turned upside down. And so the book of Revelation is prophetic because it speaks to what they are going through, but this is what prophecy does it's prophetic because it helped them understand what God's purpose was in that situation and how they could fulfill God's purpose in their life. So it's prophetic because it didn't just acknowledge where they were at, but it helped them see things from God's point of view. But it also is apocalyptic. And see, we see the vision takes John and us as the readers kind of out of this world. There's imagery in there that, let's be honest, is out of this world. We don't always know what John is talking about unless we've got some kind of guide Today, for us, we certainly don't understand all of the imagery, but it's very deliberate as John is literally in the vision, taken out of this world. And the reason that he's taken out of this world is that he's taken to a place where he can have a heavenly perspective of what is going on in his world today. And so for John, he's wondering about his world and the unrest and the turmoil, but God takes him out of this world with visions that are just hard to comprehend and in a lot of ways the book of Revelation is a little bit like someone taking us behind the scenes. Have you ever watched a movie that you really enjoyed or a TV show and then you watch the behind the scenes feature to see how it's all done? And and you see how they actually put the movie together or the special effects? of how they make something look the way that it looks. Well, the book of Revelation is a little bit like that. It's a little bit like taking us behind the scenes so that we see spiritually what's really happening. And so that's why the book of Revelation matters today. And so in the same way for us, we can be encouraged because just as God spoke to John and the churches to their specific situation then, he speaks to us about our specific situation today. But more than that, He gives us God's perspective, the heavenly perspective about what his purpose is today and how we can live out God's will in this time of turmoil. In this time where things are shaking up, in this time where in a lot of ways we're not so different from the early Christians. As we see things are happening politically, there's unrest. As we look around the world and we think, can anything else happen? Well, another week goes by and there's something happening in the news. As we look at the economic hardship that we face, as we look at our world and wonder, what's it going to be like? Five years from now, 10 years from now, God speaks to our specific situation today, but he also brings us his heavenly perspective so that we can see what's happening today through the eyes of God. And finally, the book of Revelation gives us the final end, the final future. And people wonder, why is all of that information in there? Is it to predict so that we can watch the news and wonder, is this what it means? Rather, it's a little bit like giving us the end of the story so that we don't fear when we're in the middle of it. Have you ever watched a movie or read a book where the first time, you know, you're just on the edge because you wonder what's going to happen? I remember the first time, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I remember the first time that I watched Empire Strikes Back that moment when Han Solo gets frozen. It's a a pivotal moment and you think, what's gonna happen to Han Solo? But then when you've watched it 20,000 times, you know, you don't have to fear because you know that in the end, and spoiler alert, I can't believe there might be people out there who haven't seen it, but anyway, spoiler alert, Han Solo does survive the unsurvivable. And it's a little bit like that. We get the end picture from God. And we get told the end is good so that we can be encouraged today that no matter how much unrest, no matter how much hardship we might be facing today, the end is good and He is victorious. That's why revelation matters today. It matters because the king is on the throne. It matters because we understand prophetically that God in the book of Revelation has peeled back the layers of everything that's going on and shown us behind the scenes and he's in control and he is victorious. It matters because God wants to speak to his church to encourage us. That's why every single message to all seven churches has these words in it. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pastor Alex made a great point last week when he said, it's all about the tone in which we read that. The Spirit is saying, hear what I have to say. I want to speak to you. Churches out there, let Would you hear? If you have ears, would you hear what the Spirit is saying? Because I want to speak to you. So God wants to speak to us. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3 as we look at the church in Philadelphia this morning. Revelation 3, verse 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear the Spirit says to the churches." Amen. And so as we look at at this church in Philadelphia today, as we unpack what Jesus is saying to the church, we're going to hear a little bit about what uh, Philadelphian Christians endured in that time. But you know, even as Lanita was sharing such a wonderful offering message this morning, she talked about how uh, the challenge for us is to not look at what's going on in our world, but to see beyond what God is doing. And that is essentially the heart of the message, the church in Philadelphia. Didn't she preach a great offering message this morning? Our wonderful mum to be, Lanita, give her a hand. So exciting. And, uh, You know, so this is the message that Jesus wants to give to the church in Philadelphia. And this is the second letter that we find where there's not actually any criticism of the church, but rather just encouragement because they were enduring so much, because they had gone through so much hardship and opposition. And so one of the things that Jesus first reminds this church about is that Jesus has the authority. If you're taking notes this morning, my first point is that Jesus has the authority. As we talked about, this uh, whole book is, is God peeling back the layers of what's really going on, and He's sharing with them who really is in control behind the scenes. And so we see in verse 7 these are the words of Him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What He opens, no one can shut, and what He shuts, no one can open. And similar to the church in Smyrna that we looked at a couple of weeks back, the church in Philadelphia experienced a lot of persecution, but the thing that was hard for them is that they actually experienced a lot of persecution from the Jews in that city. And so remember that for a lot of the early Christians, they started off as Jews, and they became Jewish Christians. And so initially, they went to the synagogue. Church was the synagogue where they'd always gone, where they'd grown up with with the community that they loved. Just as we focus on community on this Connect Stronger Sunday, just think about that for a moment. We've, many of us have been in this church and have found community in this church. I've been in this church for over 20 years. And imagine one day, my family attends this church... I've got a sister at one of our other campuses. So just imagine one day, one day being told, you can't come to that church. And that's what happened to the Philadelphian Christians. You see, as the Jewish leaders of those synagogues in that city, they began to worry about persecution from the Roman Empire. And they were worried. And so what they did was, they didn't understand what was happening to the Jewish Christians. And so they, they kind of their policy was, better them than us. And so they kind of betrayed them a little bit to the Roman Empire and said, hey, they're not part of us, and we're kicking them out. And if there's any uh, trouble or unrest, it's probably coming from that group of, they're a bit weird. They don't believe everything that we believe. Because to the Roman Empire, the Jews and the Christians at that time were kind of all the same. They just lumped them in, kind of all religious, a little bit like sometimes people do with us. When you tell people at your workplace or friends, you tell them that you go to church, they kind of just lump you in with with whatever they know, and you have to try and explain what you believe, what the church is that you go to, what we do, how we're different from other people. Well, the Roman Empire kind of did the same thing to the Jews and the Christians, but the Jews were worried, and so they kind of, kind of betrayed them a little bit and thought, better at them than us, and said to the Roman Empire, no, they're not part of us, and so they banned them from the synagogue. They were excluded, and we might not think much of that, but that was their community. Up until that moment, they were happy to go there. They were happy to still be part of that community, but now they're not part of that community anymore. Now someone has closed the door on them. Someone's shown them the door and said, get out. And Jesus' words to them are, I hold the key of David. What I open, no one can shut. And what I shut, no one can open. He was saying he has the authority. And that symbol of of The key of David is a symbol of authority, to hold the keys. There's a show that I love to watch. I know Ailey's a fan. A few of you are a fan around here. And it's a show called Downton Abbey. And my husband hates it, so I watch it on my own. Anyone else out there, someone, you know, online, if you're a Downton Abbey fan, you know, put in the chat. Help me out. Let's support each other. Thanks, Bronte. And I love that show. There's a movie. There's two movies that have come out since then. And... um, The show, just to summarize, for those of you mostly men who haven't watched it and don't want to, um, is you have these kind of two aspects of society. You've got this big house, and you have the people who live in the house who are very wealthy, but then you have their servants who live in the house but kind of live in the lower floors, and you kind of see the drama that unfolds as they live through their lives of the people who are wealthy and who, have, who are in the house and the servants. And one thing that you work out very quickly is that the servants are the ones who really know what's going on. They know what's going on upstairs and downstairs. The people living upstairs really don't have a whole lot of a clue as to how real people live. They're rich, they've grown up privileged, someone comes and wakes them up in the morning, someone does their hair, someone lays their clothes out for them. Sometimes I just watch it as escapism and think, oh, what life could have been like? someone else cooked for me but there's a character in that show and uh, he's the butler and he's one of the servants but he's really the guy in charge he's in charge of the servants but you also work out that he also kind of tells everyone a little bit what to do he kind of guides everyone he's the one that knows all the secrets he's got the keys literally And that's exactly the the picture that Jesus is giving here of a servant, of a key servant, a trusted servant who knew everything that was going on and literally had the keys to the house because they were so trusted. If you had that position, then you were someone with authority, even if you were a servant. And so when Jesus says, I hold the key of David. He's saying, I'm the one that behind the scenes, you see what's going on here and you think they're in charge. Just like in Downton Abbey when you think the family's in charge, but actually it's the servants who are running everything. Jesus is saying, you see here, you see the Roman empire, you see the government of the day, you see all the decisions they make and you think they're in charge, but I've got news for you. Let me take you behind the scenes and remind you who's really got authority and who really has the key to unlock doors in your life. So today, the encouragement for us is, no matter what is going on in our life, no matter what we see happening on the news, and as things change around us in this day, and as we face all sorts of challenges, we might think that there are people who are in control, but Jesus says to us too today, that He is the one who holds the key. He is the one who unlocks the doors know, I believe that this morning, there are some of you here today and you've been praying for an open door in situations. I believe that there are people here who've been praying for an open door with family members, family members that you've been estranged from. And God says today, I am the one who holds the key. What I open, no man can shut. God is the one who has the authority. He is the one who is in control. He is the one in authority. Number two, Jesus is our strength. Jesus writes to the church and he says this in the second half of verse 8. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I know that you have little strength, and yet you have not denied my name. The church is told they have little strength. Yet, they kept God's word and did not deny him. And it's kind of like almost two opposite things. You have little strength, but you've done a pretty good job. You're not that strong, but you're not to be underestimated. You have little strength, and yet, yet I see the fruit of that. And once again, once again, we are given a false reality versus the true reality. We're being told, I know that you have little strength. Other people have said you have little strength. Maybe they were small in number. Maybe because they were so persecuted, they were really just not in a position of power or influence. And so Jesus, I know you have little strength on the outside, but here's the fruit of what I see. You, despite your little strength, have not denied my name and you have kept my word. We value strength in our society, outward strength. We value athletes that can achieve great things. We value people who are strong in their personalities, strong in their leadership, and we value that strength. And yet, sometimes we find that we don't have that strength. Sometimes we find ourselves a little bit like the church in Philadelphia, where we don't feel strong. Or maybe people look at us and consider us to be weak. Maybe you've had people tell you that because you're a Christian, because you've made the choices that you've made to live your life, that you're weak. You know, I want to encourage you to, if you're here in the room today, those of you online joining us today, sometimes we are seen as weak because of what we believe. Sometimes we're seen as weak because we don't have the position that we want at work. Sometimes we're seen as weak because we aren't doing as well at school. We're not doing as well at work. And we wonder, do we have strength? And yet Jesus reminds the church in Philadelphia, and he reminds us today that our strength does not come from what people see on the outside, but rather our faith in him. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaks about the Beatitudes. And he says this, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We're blessed when we're weak, because that's when we remember that it's God who is our strength. That's why we're blessed. So today if you're feeling tired, today if you feel you need strength, today if you're feeling weak, can I encourage you, you don't have to be strong because Jesus is our strength. He is our strength today. He is the one that holds us up and we can hold ourselves highly and know that just like the church in Philadelphia, though we might feel weak though others might even consider us weak, we are strong in our faith. We are strong in him. Jesus is our strength. Number three, Jesus opens the door. Jesus opens the door. Verse eight, the first half of verse eight says this, I know your deeds, see I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. It's interesting that Jesus says it at that point that he's opened the door. To people who had been rejected, to people who had been told to get out, to people who had had the door closed on them, Jesus says, I place before you an open door. In verse 12, he says, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. You see, they had been rejected by others. And now Jesus reminds them that he includes them. He reminds them that even though other people do not accept them, he includes them. You know, there are times that following Jesus means that we are excluded There are times that following Jesus means we're excluded from certain activities, certain events we get invited to. Sometimes we're excluded from family members who we once had a close relationship with, but now we've chosen to follow Jesus, and it changes the nature of that relationship. Sometimes we're excluded in our workplace because we've chosen to follow Jesus. Sometimes in our schools, we are excluded because of our faith. And just like the church in Philadelphia, Jesus says to us, even though others may exclude us, See, I have placed before you an open door. We're encouraged today that even though what is, might be happening on the surface, when God pulls us behind the scenes of what's really going on, when God takes us out of the world and gives us this heavenly perspective, he reminds us that Jesus opens the door. And he says there is an open door and they will be pillars in the temple of God. Pillars, a place of honor. And He says to them, never again will they leave it, and that He will write on them the name of God. And the picture there is a picture that's found in Isaiah 56 of everyone coming to the temple of God. You see, there was a time where not everyone was welcome in the temple of God. You had to meet certain criteria to get into the temple or the synagogue. And now, because of the gospel, Jesus is reminding them that the gospel radically changed all that, and we are all included into Him his kingdom. As I look around the room this morning, and I'm sure for those of us who are joining online, we are represented by so many different nationalities, so many different backgrounds, so many unique experiences. And yet today we gather together in this room and together online because we are accepted in his kingdom. It's a reminder to us. We may face times when we're excluded. We might feel that we're left out. We might feel like we're overlooked. But God includes us in his kingdom. And God says of us that he will make us pillars in his temple, that God will honor us. Let me encourage you, if you're feeling like you've been overlooked, you're feeling like you're not being honored or appreciated, God sees all that you do. God sees and God honors. When we sow, we will reap. Amen? That is a spiritual principle for us. Finally today, Jesus says to them to hold on. I'm going to ask the team to come up and join me. He says to the church in verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The church had been through so much. The church was... Horribly discouraged. The church was seen as weak and little and insignificant in the eyes of so many. The church had been rejected. The church had been excluded by so many. They had been through the hardships and the crisis that everyone faced in that city. But beyond that, as a church, there were special things that they had endured because of who they had chosen to follow. And Jesus says to them, Hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have. It's a reminder to us of what we have. Jesus was reminding the church, it might seem like you don't have a lot, but you do have something. Hold on to what you have. We have Him. We have provision from Him, as Lanita said earlier. We have acceptance from Him. We are included in the presence of God because of Him. We have him, we have strength because of him. And so we are reminded to hold on, hold on. And I wanted to finish on this point today. Because like the church in, in Philadelphia, like that church, we too find ourselves facing a season of turmoil, hardship, Things have gone up and down and down and down and then up again and then down again for the last little while. And yet what a great encouragement for us as it was to the church. Hold on. Hold on to what you have. What we have is great. What we have is priceless. What we have does not perish, does not fade away, does not spoil. It is an inheritance, the Bible says, that does not spoil or fade or perish. We have something of great value. We have him. We have King Jesus. Hold on. Hold on. In this season of uncertainty, hold on. In this season of challenge after challenge, hold on. In this season where it's hard to find what's going to happen next, where you don't know what the future's going to hold, where you wonder, where you're weighed down by anxiety and worry, hold on. When you don't know what's going to happen with your kids in this day and age, hold on, says the Word of God. When you're worried about your family overseas, God says, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on to what you have. That's the challenge for us today.